Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 480, and it is, at last, Metroid. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 480 are Leah Haydu. Hello. Mikhail Crowder. I did wonder, did wonder if you'd bring a, bring a, a jingle. <laughs> from I think your... I hit a wrong key there, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got there, we got there. Yeah. Good, good effort, as always. And Rich Davison. Yeah, I'm not going to hum a single nah, thing. Hello, fine. everybody. Don't worry. We can't all be a human NES. Or Famicom Disk System, for that matter. So yeah, it's Metroid's birthday. Or thereabouts. Hence us finally doing this show. It's one of the big series, IPs, franchises, whatever you want to call it, that we've never touched in 10 years almost of Kane and Rince. But here it is. Metroid 1. Just the first one. Not the remake or anything like that, because we're going to go through the series for as long as it takes, as we always do. This is your spoiler alert. There may be some things about this game that you don't know. We may spoil them, but really it's all quite straightforward. And I think the game's biggest secrets are kind of public domain knowledge at this point. What is Metroid for those who have been sleeping under the proverbial rock for the past 35 years? It's an 8-bit 2D as you'd expect, side-scrolling and flick-screen, sci-fi, platform, run-and-gun, and exploration arcade adventure. And the title is a portmanteau of the words Metro and Android, although why it's a portmanteau of those two words, I don't really know. Anyway, it was developed by Nintendo R&D No. 1 and Intelligent Systems back in 1986. It was originally titled Space Hunter, which is kind of more straight down the line, mm-hmm. but they didn't stick with that. The production was described as a very free working environment, environment by composer Hirokazu Tanaka, who stated that, uh, though being the composer, he also gave input for the graphics and helped name areas. Still, there were problems that threatened timely progress of the project and eventually led artist uh, Yoshio Sakamoto to be forcefully asked to participate by his superiors hoping his previous experience could help the team. Sakamoto stated he figured out a way to bypass the limited resources and time to leverage existing game media assets to create variation and an exciting experience. Not sure why it, uh, that's from Wikipedia. I'm not sure why it goes into uh, modern business speak there, but, uh, but there we are. So yeah, the director was uh, Satoru Okada who was uh, already a Nintendo director of some renown, having worked on Wild Gunman and Duck Hunt and Hogan's Alley and Balloon Fight and Wrecking Crew and Stack Up and Gyromite. And uh, this was the next big one. The, the name of the, the name that probably gets mentioned the most when Metroid is being discussed is Gunpei Yokoi, the late producer who had also worked on Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. and the original Mario Brothers, as well as some of those other games I mentioned, uh, Duck Hunt and Balloon Fight. Uh, He was also the inventor of the Virtual Boy and, uh, yeah, was an influential figure throughout his his life, which was sadly lost in 1997 in a traffic uh, motor vehicle accident. Game was released originally on the Famicom Disk System uh, in Japan in August 1986. Hence us being here. We're six days away at the time of recording from that anniversary. The NES version 
in a cartridge in a box arrived in North America August 15th 1987 so not quite the anniversary yet and I didn't know this but this is oft repeated on the internet there's a typo an error on the box which suggests that Metroid is an alternate two-player game it is not there is no two-player element we've got our first correspondent here because Deadpool negative from the forum was there at the time nice. Christmas 1987 I had received an NES for Christmas and for reasons I cannot immediately recall my 10 year old self was allowed to pick three games for the system I remember my parents driving me out to the local Clover in Andorra a township just on the edge of Philadelphia to pick up said games one of these games was the not very good Top Gun another is lost to memory and the third was a little game called Metroid I remember being struck by the weird pixelated visage of Samus Aran facing off against some strange shell beings with what looked like a cool gun arm long before I'd discovered Mega Man. I still remember reading that sparse but pretty cool story the instruction manual told about a band of space pirates who had discovered an alien life form, the titular Metroid, capable of draining the very life from anyone. Their hideout... What are we saying? We can't saying Zebes, Zebes, Zebes... So it's different, isn't it? In in the actual in-game text, it's pronounced like Zebeth, but I think it might be yes. a kind of Aerith, Aerith thing. Yes, like I think that's just correct. Romanization yeah. and yeah, I think it, it's kind of sort of probably been um, corrected throughout as Zebes, I think. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pronounce go. it uh, differently every time I say it this episode, cool. so uh, I hope everybody's okay, okay with track. that. <laughs> <laughs> Their hideout, uh, Zebes, uh, which was a maze of strangeness. The tough-as-nails bounty hunter Samus Aran tasked with taking the pirate lieutenants Craid and Ridley and their mysterious leader, the Mother Brain. Remember when games never let you see what the final boss looked like? The true visage of Mother Brain was quite the payoff. The world of Metroid didn't feel like the sprawling, fascinating overhead world of The Legend of Zelda. It felt caustic, claustrophobic. The sense of discovery initially replaced by a sense of dread. I'm sure it all feels quaint now, but back in 90, 1987, 1988, it was brand new. Nevertheless, like players felt compelled to uncover every inch of Hyrule, players of Metroid were compelled to push on further through Zebes, trying to discover where the pirate leaders and the Metroids were. I tunneled through every nook and cranny of the Zebes to find more missiles, more energy tanks and more strange weapons and abilities. The need to poke, prod, bomb every wall, use every trick in the book to make sure there wasn't another passage we missed, another catacomb holding a treasure. 30 years ago, it was exhaustive, but it also encouraged a sense of community with players sharing ideas, just like they did with The Legend of Zelda or Castlevania II, Simon's Quest. Back then, I think I eventually surrendered, though, and tracked down a convenient password so I could see the ending, probably Justin Bailey. As I played it on my 3DS Virtual Console for this episode, it struck me how very difficult the platforming is, how much of it relies on precision and getting the ice beam to freeze an enemy just right, how much backtracking you'll have to do if you mess up, how frustrating using the bomb correctly to boost your jump can be. And kids, if you thought there was too much backtracking in classic Resident Evil, wait until you play Metroid. In fact, I'm not really sure I can recommend the original when games such as Super Metroid and Metroid Prime have done such a stellar job perfecting the formula but if there's one thing the original metroid has going for it it's the eerie mood it creates the sense of loneliness the idea that samasaran was the only thing that was keeping the metroids from escaping and consuming the galaxy sure it may sound ridiculous now but to a 10 year old's fertile mind well 
What it takes is the sound when Samus discovers a new item, and I'm there again. And hey, back then, we were genuinely surprised that she was a girl. <laughs> the game arrived in the EU in January 1988. Reviews-wise, well, I don't have too many reviews from the time, although I think they were broadly pretty positive. The GBA version for the re-release of the original were not so stellar back in 2004. The game's in a yeah in a post Metroid Prime and and Super Metroid world game rankings had it at 62% with a Metacritic score of 58. Seems yeah. quite harsh on average. The GBA but... also had its own uh, modern 2D Metroid games, of course. Indeed, yes, yeah. which we've already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, user reviews are kinder. Metacritic has 8.5 out of 10 for that GBA version, but only from 32 people who have registered a score. Nintendo Life from 910 users, though, has Metroid on a 7.2 out of 10. Sales-wise, apparently Metroid netted 2.73 million. But again, who knows how many digital sales and how many yeah, times. I gather it was a little bit more popular in the West than it was in Japan on release as well, yeah. which is kind of like an interesting anecdote. I wonder if there's some sort of like a affinity yeah. the Western audience has had with the source material um, that Japanese people perhaps might not have. Possibly, yeah. So, uh, our own histories with the original Metroid. Leah, how about you? So, I never had an NES, which is something nope. I've mentioned previously on yep. various shows. So, I didn't actually play Metroid right when it came out. I didn't actually play through it entirely. I think that I probably picked away at like little bits of it here and there um, on other people's consoles or just in in passing uh, in uh, in other ways but I didn't actually play through the whole thing until I played a virtual console version on the Wii so I think that probably would have been around I don't know 2008 or 9 maybe yeah. um so somewhere in that plus or minus a few years probably mm. um and you know played through that and did complete it at that time and then I di didn't really touch it uh until the show came around and i played over the past uh week well actually i say over the past week this was yesterday <laughs> yesterday i uh played through the entirety of metroid on the switch virtual I, I, is it still called the virtual console no. I, i'm not even sure nintendo switch online okay is the so that name. version which yeah. there are we didn't really mention it but there are a couple of versions available of the original Metroid That's and right. presumably I, I haven't looked at it too much, but presumably of some of the other uh, NES and SNES games as well. I played the, just the standard one, yeah. but there is also a version that starts you directly at Ridley, I think. Yeah. And fully powered up. Yeah. And then another one, a <clears throat> excuse me, a third version that starts you with just all of the power-ups already yeah. obtained yeah. And, and applied to you. So similar to just using a code or whatever. But yeah. I, I just played the standard one, and uh, I, I don't know what my final completion time was, but it wasn't great. I, I did use a lot of the rewind feature mm. in, the, uh, in the Switch Online version and um, a, a couple of save states mostly, but most... It was mostly one sitting. It was it was kind of split between two. I did a little bit of the early stuff and then came back and did the rest of it. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I am. I've completed it twice. Uh, once more or less legitimately. Well, I say legitimately. Once more or less without assists, and then yeah. once uh, 
once very much with a lot of assists. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'd only ever poked at Metroid 1. I started with Super Metroid, as I think quite a few people did, especially uh, in the UK where not that many NESs had been sold and found their way into homes. Uh, but I didn't complete Super Metroid until 2007, uh, weirdly, on the virtual console because I found it quite confusing and got lost a lot. But eventually I did. And uh, I loved Metroid Prime, absolutely adored that one. And of course, I played loads of other uh, Metroid adjacent games. I've played some of Fusion, I completed Zero Mission. But really, Metroid was, I think, yeah, the most experience I'd had of it was uh, was the micro game in WarioWare that sees you just fire several the final few missiles into the mother brain to complete the game. Uh, until last weekend when, uh, yes, I did what Leah did effectively and uh, played the Switch online version. Uh, I didn't use Rewind. I kind of forgot that console uh, or, or that presentation of emulation has the Rewind. So I mainly use save states, but I mainly used it uh, to save time rather than to, you know, completely abuse the game. But there were, there were a few points where, yeah, the game gets pretty sticky. And yeah, I also used a guide because otherwise I'd still be playing it. And I got to crack on with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, which is like a 70 to 100 hour game for the show. So, yes, I haven't given it uh, the the most uh, pure um, hardcore gamer uh, attempt, but uh, but I did play through it. I did beat it effectively. Um, and fortunately, we have Mikhail and Rich who are who are far more honest and hardy. Yeah. Speaking of honesty, um, I did completed back in the days but um i definitely initially used maps to you know pre-printed maps unlike rich well, yeah be, to 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 sort of get a jump start in the game because that's I was like completely tier two lost. rich is going to be our you know ultra uh purist but but mm. using somebody else's map is i think i don't really even think that's I don't consider that. I achievement. use Rich's map actually, oh, so well, I, mean, yeah. I don't I yeah. don't know what that says. I was still uh still a fledgling gamer back then. The NES yeah. was the first home system, so we got it in uh, early nineteen ninety with about forty games. And Metroid was among those forty games. Um I had played it before in the toy store that my mom was working at in one of those kiosk thingies where you had a red red switch button to switch behind multiple carts inserted yeah. into sort of a jukebox like arrangement. Yeah. And yeah, and that also had a timer on it, by the way. After 10 minutes, it would just uh, uh, okay. sw switch off. Get off, well. kid. Yeah, so it was maybe like a sort of a uh, yeah consumer kiosk type play choice 10 sort of deal, I think. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, in the, in the kiosk in my mom's, in the toy store that my mom was working at, that was, it was already, I didn't quite know what to make of it. I thought the... The the figure of uh, Samus also looked very very interesting at the time. Um, you know, I think the shape of the helmet, especially in the first game, is very much influenced very much influenced by uh, Giger as well uh, yeah. with this sort of uh, alien like, uh, yeah, xenomorph like so sort of helmet shape that she yeah. that she's wearing. And yeah, so but it looked very interesting, and when we got the the 40 games of course it took a lot of time to sift through everything and we tried metroid a couple of times but uh yeah you just if you don't know what you're doing in a, initially you feel like you're walking through endlessly repeating hallways and going up 
endlessly repeating shafts, you know? It's, you do. Uh, yeah. Until you reach actually reach an environment that looks a bit different than the yeah. uh, Brinstar um, bluish-grayish kind of uh, environment, you know? The, mm. Like, the, I remember the first other environment we reached was a sort of a golden variant of that. Mm. Yeah, but it looked very uh, intriguing, all of that. And then a friend came by who had a very... He seemed to have a very big thing for it. He was very um, intrigued by it. And we had this catalog that came with everything. It was, a, it was an American catalog, a Nintendo Power catalog, with lots of previews of games that uh, were not, were never even coming out in, in Europe. And they had like a lot of maps in there, even from for for Zelda and for Super Mario Brothers, all the world maps and you know showing all the little icons where where uh, all the, the secret blocks were and and all that stuff. And he put it on his lap and he sort of started navigating me through the opening section of the game. And that's after that point, that's where it got my hooks into it got its hooks into me. And I uh frankly, yeah, couldn't stop playing. I was uh, mm. super immersed and involved in the whole thing. Very cool. Now, Rich, I think are you uh, is is your odyssey with this game all new to you or is this a return because you've gone in hard and you've gone in deep <laughs> you know what i'm not really too sure so i think one thing i do know and, and i recognize now uh, as a as a person in his mid-30s is that the relationship that i had with the any and the nes was actually very similar to the likes of what many americans would have had albeit about six years prior to to me getting there so when metroid right. came out i was i was two so th there's no way yeah. that i was there year one and i don't think we owned a copy of it in the early 90s when I would have been playing on the NES. Um, mm. The first time I would have played a Metroid game would have been Super Metroid, and I would have definitely um, not been able to get a copy of this in the early 2000s when the price skyrocketed. I'm pretty mm. sure that I would have emulated it, and um, obviously that kind of bled into like Metroid Prime and Fusion and Zero Mission and all of that. Um, the first time I played this particular Metroid was actually in 2008 on the Wii Virtual Console, just right. like mm. Leah. Um, it was a period when I was trying to go back and fill in a lot of my gaps in the NES library. So I was playing like The Legends of Zelda, uh, Zelda 2 and Metroid. And yeah. all three of those games, as far as I'm concerned, are, are ridiculously difficult. So yeah. I sort of bounced off it quite hard um, and, and felt that it was way too difficult for me. But the reason I bring that up is because it's important. Because when I approached this particular game, I really wanted to try and do it as, as honestly as I could and the reason behind this is because metroid is like a sacred cow and i yeah. felt a lot of pressure coming into this show to try and <laughs> be informed and and have like an honest and like reason like real opinion about how things have progressed so oh, fair play to you um I, I picked up uh my wii and i plugged it in and i played it on the, the wii virtual console again as opposed to the switch and the reason behind this is because the Wii Virtual Console doesn't have save states. No temptations, right. Yeah. What it does have is is a pause and resume. So you can yeah, put your, yeah. your Wii on standby and return to yeah. it. And I thought this is probably like the, the most um, realistic way of going about it. Um, I also, as has been mentioned, pulled out a bit of paper and, and made a map just to try and yeah. sort of keep myself together. But it's not a like a, a pure approach to it because I have like osmosed information across the course of probably about 20 years possibly even more about the location of some really key things like bombs uh places and walls to to bomb and and the varia suit which is is like essential as far as i'm concerned to, to finish mm. the game yeah. um uh 
probably finished the first game as I was making a map, and I think I got the the bad ending, which is the, the not the one where Samus is facing away from the camera, but the one where she's got a thumbs up towards the camera with a helmet on. Mm. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I can't leave that there. And since then, I've probably returned to the game about 40 times over the last three weeks to sort of squeeze out a, a speed run as much as possible, including... Uh, a run that I managed to do today, which is an under-hour run, purely so I can enjoy the the image of 8-bit Samus and her skimbies. So, yeah. you know, that's it's literally the only way you can get your kick. All 8 pixels of her. <laughs> uh, I mean, amazing work is, is, is what I can say. Definitely, and, uh, yeah. Uh, it, because it is daunting, and obviously we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's impressive stuff because I think a lot of people will bounce off this game and as uh, i think several of our correspondents will sort of say effectively super metroid is really a remake although it's called metroid 3 kind of super metroid was the first remake and then and then uh it's all intents and purposes even though it follows on in story it really is a, a kind of 16-bit uh kind of incarnation of the game and then you've got zero mission on the gba as well so there are much more accessible ways plus eight million indie metroidvanias that you can play now as well so to go back to the original metroid and actually get good at it to the point that you're finishing it in under an hour is uh, is is impressive but it also it also speaks it is testament to the game design of the original because i think it would be quite easy to dismiss this game as too hard like impossible hard yeah. uh because and it's almost it's got a bit of a reverse difficulty curve in some ways because definitely you start does. Off the beginning so, is so hard here yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it it you start off so powerless that unless you know where to go and start getting your gear together it's just it's a bit nightmarish just not knowing where to go and not I knowing, think that was yeah. even written in the tip section of that catalog that I had like right be, yeah. don't be put off by the initial difficulty the game actually gets easier along the way mm. which i found yeah. a mind-blowing concept back then because i was used yeah. to video games getting harder along the way not easier yeah. so yeah i i would actually say for me at least that it, it was kind of a momentum-based thing it wasn't that the game necessarily got easier because there is still the point that if you die you start off again with 30 health you know you you have no and granted you have more of a capability to get health but i i i don't know whether i would call that i, I think i would i think i would call that one of my issues with the game is mm. that if your momentum is broken then yeah. it is very difficult or at least it was for me as i say to get that back it's quite like the old arcade shmups in that way in that you mm -hmm. lose all your i mean you don't lose all your power-ups but it, it's more like a roguelite in some ways isn't it the way that the game actually functions because you, you you're like you go into the dungeon you get some gear and then if you fail you go back to not the start but the start of the section and you lose some of what you've gained certainly in terms of progress so yeah. it, there's like a really interesting sort of snippet and I've, forgive me I can't remember where I'm citing this information from but there was something to do with how like at the time when they were building like Zelda and Metroid in the same sort of tranche of work over in R&D 1 yeah. Metroid wasn't supposed to be targeted towards children it was actually yeah. towards a completely different demographic that probably had a little bit well, I don't want to assume but potentially a little bit more um, patience and tolerance towards yeah. Sort of a game people who've seen Alien, <laughs> maybe yeah, well, yeah, be able to understand those references. Yeah, yeah, you get into a position if you die where you have to grind 
like in an uh, in an RPG, you know, where you just have to grind for health. And the way I went about that back in the days was find those spots with the craters that had these flying creatures coming out of there one after another and just stand there, yeah. keep shooting yeah. them and kept, keep collecting the health. That was the fastest way. Yeah. I knew where those where those spots were and I would just go there and then tank up on health that way. But for those who don't know, and this is a key difference with games such as Symphony of the Night and games that have come after, it's not like you can just stand there and level up uh, no. by grinding. All you can do is get back to maximum health and missiles. You exactly. Can't, you can't improve your chances going forward beyond that it's not leveling up it's it's leveling back up yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so just speaking to the difficulty and and not kind of going into the mechanics at all like the way that so at the point that i finished the game in the first instance i was like this is this is simply not this is beyond my capabilities to do this Mm -hmm. any faster than what i've already done yeah the way that i approach the game at this point is i don't really care if i take too much damage you maneuver between the energy tanks because the energy tanks fill up your energy as well as give you additional energy so you don't grind at all you just keep moving and you don't kill anything for that matter unless you want some some missiles which that's kind of where the rng comes about yeah, I've so, noticed that from watching other better people play uh, is that there's actually a lot of not getting involved with stuff, hence those ridiculously yeah. fast completion times. I uh, really and... have to train my mind to not try and create safety because there's no safety in this game whatsoever between yeah. all of the RNG and the um, you know, the, the AI that, that goes behind some of these simplistic creatures. And it's remarkable how much those runs, even if they're not, technically or actually going for a speed run look like the modern speed runs of other games which are so often if you watch somebody speed running i don't know a souls game or even a another nintendo game from more recent times so much of it is about avoiding combat because that's what slows you down right so it's it's about just keeping moving and knowing where to jump uh similarly even even if you watch super mario brothers speed runs like so much of it is just just yeah momentum rather than clearing everything out and, and, and risk as well just reduce the risk yeah. of, of being put into a position where you can't control like if yeah. you run through it 40 times in a week you start to realize that it's, it's almost yeah. very predictable <laughs> uh, we've got a new forum correspondent not sure on the pronunciation could be minawazi or minawiz uh, you know how it is when you grow up with very little money but the family gets a console for christmas metroid was one of the few games we owned and played over and over again i'm not sure it was even ours It may have been a cousin's copy that just lived at our house. Due to the graphical limitations of the time, so much was left to the imagination. And the idea that you could go left to get a power-up? Completely innovative. It was an open world. I was so young and bad at video games, I loved that I could just run around until the game became too hard. And Samus was a girl. I always wanted to play as the girl. And if you put in the code Justin Bailey, you got a souped-up Samus in a colourful suit with majestic hair. Of course, even with all that power, I still couldn't get to the end. I still have trouble freezing those little platform guys and jumping higher and higher to get that out of reach door or doors. Who knows? I never got that far. But the music, the atmosphere, it all felt so mysterious, exciting and dangerous with so much to explore. Once I discovered that after the mother brain was defeated, you had to make a race for the exit. I knew this would be a game I would never finish. The idea that you have to make a timed escape still fills me with anxiety. I'm sure I've met much greater video game challenges since, but I've hyped it up so much in my head. I have so I have such love for those early NES games. For some of them, it's pure nostalgia, but Metroid had some solid design. I would say uh, if the, the thought of the timed escape is the only thing that's putting you off, Minoise, 
uh, that's probably one of the easier parts of the game <laughs> i would say uh weirdly it's uh, it's not the super strictest time limit i've ever been yes but with. also i found it to be stressful <laughs> it is um, quite stressful yeah because those, those, platform. plat those platforms become smaller and smaller right? they do yeah. they're very yeah. tiny and the jump is super mm. floaty like mm -hmm. especially once you get the uh the screw attack if you are not just jumping straight up then there's a lot of kind of wiggle when you land and um yeah it can it can make it very difficult difficult for me at least again i'm saying for me at least a lot on this because i know that there are people who this does not affect as much but uh yeah. i found no, it to same. be very tricky to uh land precisely in those kinds of uh, situations yeah. oftentimes like, like you how many games of of that ilk are you used to finishing and then you defeat the boss and that's it like just jobs are good and yeah. You, yeah, you yeah sort of move on in this case what it's doing is like okay hold back a moment let's give you albeit a relatively general uh, uh you know generous time limit but a time limit nonetheless and some probably in my opinion the second most tricky kind of platforming section in the game after um the ascent yeah. from defeating Kraid. so i think it's it, like it's a real innovation as far as i'm concerned and and like something that sticks with a lot of people when they're coming back anecdotally about their yeah. experience with metroid let's get into the backstory uh for metroid in the year 20x5, I don't know why it's the year 20... I mean, surely the more important part is the... Anyway. Um, the Space Pirates, capital S, capital P, attack a Galactic Federation-owned space research vessel and see samples of Metroid creatures, parasitic life forms discovered on the planet SR388. Dangerous floating organisms, the Metroids can latch onto any organism and drain its life energy to kill it. The space pirates plan to replicate Metroids by exposing them to beta rays and then using them as biological weapons to destroy all living beings that oppose them. While searching for the stolen Metroids, the Galactic Federation locates the space pirates' base of operations on the planet Zebes. The Federation assaults the planet, but the pirates resist, forcing the Federation to retreat. As a last resort, the Federation decides to send a lone bounty hunter to penetrate the pirates' base and destroy Mother Brain, the biomechanical life form that controls the space pirates' fortress and its defences. Considered the greatest of all bounty hunters, Samus Aran is chosen for the mission. Samus lands uh, on the surface of Zebes and explores the planet, travelling through the planet's caverns. She eventually comes across Kraid, an ally of the space pirates, and Ridley, the space pirate's commander, and defeats them both. Eventually, Samus finds and destroys, destroys Mother Brain. A timed bomb is then placed to destroy the lair, and she must escape before it explodes. Thanks, Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, so... Alien and Aliens, obviously, a huge influence on everything. I mean, it's funny that Samus's armor looks more like the Xenomorph from the films because the the actual enemy from the films is transposed here, I suppose, to the Metroids, which are these kind of jellyfish things. Yeah, they look cuter than the Xenomorphs do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you've got uh, Ridley is is the reference there. Ridley Scott, the director. Um, there's a few other things. I, I saw one video which even kind of tries to match up the first four Metroid plots against the, the four Metroid movie, uh, the four Alien movies. Oh. I know there are more now, but um, I'm not sure that yeah. quite works. Uh, it doesn't but, uh, entirely fly. No. And also uh, the fact that the protagonist is a woman. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, if you play Metroid 3 backwards, it actually um, does match up pretty well to uh, Alien 3. That's what I've been told. I'm going to try that. Uh -huh. Am I? 
So yeah, Samus Aran, as we've said, was a woman, a girl, a chick, a bird, a babe. <laughs> Partially through development, <laughs> one of the developers asked the others, hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if it turned out that the person inside the suit was a woman? This idea was incorporated into the game, though the English language instruction manual for the game uses only the pronoun he in reference to Samus, selling the uh, the players all a dummy. Definitely, again, uh, not the first ever video game protagonist who was a female. There were loads before this. But uh, the fact that it was uh, a kind of a plot twist, and even then it was reserved for people who'd completed the game fast enough to find out, that's quite kind of cool. I guess is it was it subvertive for the time? I I don't know. Is it even worth commenting on now? I mean, I think it's worth commenting on as a as a um thing to note about the time period. Like the fact that this was yeah. such a big deal is kind right. of wild. Um yeah. but but yeah, I mean it was I think it was surprising just because there were not very many as you no. say it was it definitely wasn't the first, but uh, especially because you just you kind of make the assumption that yeah of course this is a man and and it and the yeah. the uh instruction manual being written to kind of exploit that that assumption totally as does. well is is kind of interesting so we've mentioned obviously the alien influence uh, ridley scott's 1979 horror film alien was described by sakamoto as a huge influence after the game's world had been created the development staff was affected by the work of the film's creature designer, H.R. Giger, and found his creations to be fitting for the theme. Again, that's a little quote from Wikipedia. Uh, once more, I think it's fair to say that uh, with the Super Nintendo and beyond, they got to lean into the, the biomechanical Giger stuff more heavily. But actually for the 8-bit graphics, the low, relatively low resolution and color palette, uh, they did quite a lot with, with Metroid. Um, so for those those of us who remember seeing the game at the time you possibly have a slightly different view so to me as somebody who came to it later didn't have an nes it always looked you know very 8-bitty um, yeah and it was also that, a very early at least for us in the west in the uh yeah. in the console's life um mm. and it came out in europe in one of those uh boxes with the pixel yeah. graphics up front right. which was the first generation of uh of nes releases over here yeah um so yeah there's not there's not a lot of complexity if you look for example what capcom was doing later with the later Mega Man games and mm. um you know what natsume was doing with their action games or sunsoft with a lot of like intricately detailed for an 8-bit system backgrounds with animated parts and everything you you'll without any exception all the backgrounds in the game are just pitch black yeah um but i think that they do something very special with the tile sets beyond the first area. And even the first area is not that bad, but it's uh, maybe I have a little bit of an antipathy towards it because <laughs> I spent way too much time there yeah. initially. Totally but it has true. interesting little faces in there, in the, in the rock formations Got and stuff Egyptian like that. Got the Egyptian sort of motif maybe going on, which is often kind of used as a yeah, shorthand exactly. for alien things in But then you get into sci-fi. these really weird areas with sci-fi. like uh, bubble-like walls and, and all sorts of stuff. And it, you know... Yeah. You can tell that those style sets have made such an impact on yeah. uh, on the gaming populace. And also, if you we last year we played Axiom Verge, of course, and a lot of those kind of style oh, sets yeah. are very reminiscent of the so, first Metroid. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think uh, we talked again. I can't remember exactly which game. Uh, maybe regular listeners, attentive listeners, will remember. But there's there's been at least one game we've talked about before where we've talked about the 
the power of the black backdrop in 8-bit video games in particular on a crt in particular that incredibly deep black that kind of as, as a as a an imaginative child especially would just suck you into the screen into the world yeah. It's that darkness, right? And mm. it's it's sort of it's almost you know I don't want to get carried away too much here, but it's almost like it consumes you, mm. um, and yeah, it uh, it helps the game to sort of, especially back then when we were playing it, instill the fear of the unknown in the game. To totally. you, you know, you feel like something could pop out of that blackness at any moment. And yeah, the further you go through the game, the more weird creatures you encounter, and some of them are quite annoying and scary to deal with sure and they soak, soak up a lot of shots so they they definitely yeah at that time again instilled a lot of uh there, there was a large intimidation factor there yeah and, yeah and and as well as this the the black background in my opinion certainly makes the game like a, a lot more difficult to navigate like you're looking for landmarks some kind of way to help fix your position and understand the geography and it's really difficult because yeah there's a lot of those vertical sections that become very samey so to try and understand yeah. where you are in proportion to everything limited else tile really sets different. as well yeah and and limited numbers of different layouts for the rooms but yeah just, uh, just shapes in general it's really difficult to to pass out where you need to be in relation to where you are and it's only one of those things that that comes with familiarity and 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 kind of ingraining that into your own sense of internal geography i believe that there are some rooms and and, and this was kind of an issue for me that are quite literally the same and craig's lair know. in particular uh-huh. it, yeah. it, almost mm-hmm. every room that comes across that one vertical corridor is, is identical and yeah. none of them yeah. are especially very easy either which is uh and probably deliberately so to, to throw you off when you're because you are supposed to be mapping the game, right? I mean, that's how the game was designed uh, for the player to map it. There is no map, so uh, and and I yeah, I think the map. There's a, there's a very very simple map in the the um, the 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 guide uh, or the oh, the actual right, okay. like thing itself. But it, it does yeah. indeed encourages you to go away and do your own map. Toon Scottoon from the forum says metroid along with link's adventure the original castlevania and indiana jones and the temple of doom belong to a special club of games my brother and i begged our parents to rent for us to play on our nes only for our feeble six and eight year old selves to turn them in a few days turn them in a few days later completely defeated by the challenges these games afforded us three decades later i sat down with metroid again and although i think i could conquer metroid having just conquered its most modern relative returnal I doubt I'll ever know for sure because after logging a two-hour session dinking around Zebes, Zebes, what were we saying? A good chunk <laughs> of which was spent trying to refill my energy bar by farming Zebs, I'm throwing in the towel. Nintendo's ambition with Metroid is clear. The introduction of the game's complex and engaging lore, the crisscrossing of the planet using the different skills at your disposal and the soundscape all feel innovative and original for gaming at the time. And although the franchise seems inspired by the Ridley Scott Alien film, it does not to my eyes seem like a cash grab trying to leverage a trend or a cheap 8-bit knockoff, but a statement of purpose that games may not have been prepared to rival film as an art form in 1986, but that they were lurking under the surface, evolving and waiting to emerge as a vehicle for important and interesting intellectual exploration in the years to come. Very well put. And also great shout out to Returnal there, because that... Like, I've been playing Returnal and I have not really, because it's roguelite and and it's third person action and it's got, you know, kind of lots of different genre elements from the modern world thrown in. But 
as soon as he said it, it was like of course returnal feels so much like the the vibe of of playing metroid uh it's ob- it's obvious really let's talk about the audio in his book Maestro Mario, How Nintendo Transformed Video Game Music into an Art. Video game scholar Andrew Sharpman notes the possible influence of Jerry Goldsmith's Alien score on Tanaka's music, a hypothesis supported by Sakamoto's acknowledgement of Alien's influence on the game's developments. De- development. As Sharpman notes, much like Metroid, the movie owes some of its tensest moments to silence. Sharpman further agrees that Tanaka's emphasis on silence was revolutionary to video game composition. Tanaka's greatest contribution to game music comes, paradoxically, in the form of silence. He was arguably the first video game composer to emphasise the absence of sound in his music. Tanaka's score is an embodiment of isolation and atmospheric effect, one that penetrates deeply into the emotion. Interesting. There's not that many points in in Metroid where it does have silence. I think going up and down the sort of elevators. I think that's what they are between um, the the yeah. parts of the planet have that little beeps and bloops. But that's yeah. it. You know, for the most part, you just you know, it's a, it's a bit cacophonous in in its um, soundtrack. It is. I think maybe the the key silences are the ones when you're just about these the areas where you're just about to get a major power up. Uh, although there there is that tune there, the famous kind of sequence of notes, it's the gaps in between those notes. Yeah, yeah. There's those like uh, there's there's multiple of these sort of really minimalist sort of yeah soundscapey tunes that consist of three mm. ascending and then descending notes again. Yeah. Rich, uh, I didn't realize it was you going back, but um, but I, you you were singing the praises of the Craig's Layer theme. Uh, and it's a yeah, it's a very popular one on on YouTube. There are loads and loads of covers of it and stuff. Uh, and I said, oh yeah, we played that on Sound of Play years ago, and uh, it turned out it was you who requested it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I had no idea. That that is an all timer, as far as I'm concerned. And and like without kind of bombarding you with my opinion, I think it's the the best in in the game. I actually don't like the Brinstar uh, theme mm-hmm. because I think it's way too upbeat for a game that's supposed to be about like isolation. <laughs> there's always one or two in in the game. Like, yeah, I think most Metroid games have them where there's one or two that are kind of much more bombastic and an action movie, like a bit more aliens rather than alien. It, it's sort of it's it's in opposition. It, it, this is the point of the game where you are perhaps at your weakest, and yeah. uh, you know, it, yeah, it gives you that false sense of um, heroism. Yeah. Let's say. I, I think I think so, but. Um... I suspect that the design philosophy, you know, um, be, yeah, the design philosophy, this tying in with uh, the music composition there was that maybe they wanted to give players that sort of confidence boost with quite a, a, a heroic theme of uh, of that sort. Yeah. Hmm. The opening section is the 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 metroid screen the the splash screen at the beginning is is exceptional and like it's yeah. just another example that makes it feel very much like alien not least of which because the metroid um motif and the the font is almost a direct one to one of uh, ridley scott's alien scroll at the beginning of that film as well mm. yeah well worth uh, checking out the japanese title screen for those who haven't seen it as well because the uh, i think the i think it's katakana might be hiragana excuse my ignorance um to me, looks even cooler than the Metroid lettering, but uh, maybe that's a matter of taste. GameSpot's history of Metroid, which notes how the game's music superbly evoked the proper feelings of solitude and loneliness one would expect while infiltrating a hostile alien planet alone, 
Tanaka said he wanted to make a score that made players feel like they were encountering a living organism and had no distinction between music and sound effects. The only time a melodic theme is heard is when Mother Brain is defeated in order to give the victorious player catharsis. During the rest of the game, the melodies are more minimalistic because Tanaka wanted the soundtrack to be the opposite of the hummable pop tunes found in other games at the time. That does, it slightly goes against some of the tunes, I think. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think the yeah. the closest approximation we get to that, other than that that um, tune at the end, but like in terms of like dissonant tunes, the Norfair mm. tune sounds just yeah. really odd and and very alien to the ears because it's very kind of plodding and like almost dissonant and offbeat and such. I'm not going to hum it on the podcast, yeah, yeah. but um, it's worth checking out as like just music that that because it's obviously across two channels. There's not a lot going on there anyway, but yeah. um, what is there is 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 quite peculiar to ears yeah we haven't talked about the actual spot effects yet uh, i guess there aren't loads of them they aren't they they are kind of as you'd expect for an 8-bit console doing a sci-fi game uh, none of them uh, you know i think i think they're cool um but none of them are kind of the i don't think it's quite the i don't know i don't know is it is it is it the iconic soundscape of some other 8-bit games i'm not sure not the not the soundscape as in the whole thing as in the just the sound effects for shooting an enemy death and stuff like that again we were um was it was it you were you were looking at um Antiriad, rich and you said about the alien death noise in that game oh that was dreadful it was genuinely dreadful i think it sounded more like a, a fault of the computer than something that's interesting but some of the the like ambient noises that are embedded in i suppose like the the iconic one is the picking up of um of of a new bit of tech and that's yeah. probably something that's like reciprocated across the legends of zelda and and that and that's persisted throughout all of, of metroid so that that start stands the test of time metroid yeah, and for sure a little bit like a jingle right that is a jingle yeah yeah and yeah. like a bit of dopamine in, in your brain you know it makes Definitely. it feel great it's metro so when i first played metroid in what 2008 I spent most of the time with the incessant beeping on in the background, which really sort of rips apart the soundtrack in, in the background and become the the main theme of, of the game at that point. I, it's difficult because there's a lot going on that like competes with one another for, I guess it's RAM or whatever's going on inside of the computer. And so actually getting from A to B isn't necessarily something that you're going to encounter like many new sounds, the sound of your gun or arm cannon firing for example or the screw attack or something like that but um i don't think they've persisted across the rest of the series in the same way that some of those like light motifs have pecan pie from our forum says the soundtrack is outstanding and is essential to the atmosphere craig's hideout is 45 seconds of pure brilliance with its ending flourishing into a series of repeated solitary tension building notes before repeating back to the undulating beginning these songs combined with the black backgrounds and endless caverns filled with alien creatures form such a distinct experience of lonely space exploration on the NES. Definitely worth mentioning. I already did, but uh, to go into a bit more detail from the Metroid wiki, the Famicom disc system version utilizes that system's wavetable sound channel for several sound effects, such as doors opening and larger monsters being hit. One other major sound change was to the countdown alarm. When Mother Brain dies in the FDS version, it's a loud screeching siren, while in the NES version, it's a slightly soft whoop whoop sound. Five themes in the game also use the wavetable channel, adding an extra instrument to the music, which was removed from the NES version. So yes, if you want to hear the arranged versions, or the actually the unarranged versions, 
with extra layers. Uh, they they might sound wrong if you're very used to the NES ones, but uh, they're actually the original versions of the soundtrack are on the Famicom Disk System version. You can check that out. So into the game. Nintendo attempted dis to distinguish Metroid from other games by making it a non-linear adventure-based game in which exploration was a crucial part of the experience. The game often requires that the player retrace steps to progress. In Metroid, items are permanent fixtures that last until the end. In particular, missiles and the ice beam are required to finish the game. You know, I was wondering about this. Is the ice beam really required? I know it's required to kill Metroids, but do you actually have to kill the Metroids? I think you need it to climb... Rich will know. There's a just as you get into um Turian, so the end of the game, there's one area that has a single um door that requires ten missiles. And I I can't see a way that you would be able to get those missiles into the door without freezing the Metroids. So you could probably mm. shuck and jive and it would probably it, it'd be a bit of a false economy. So suffice to say I don't think you need it. However, right. um, it's a fool's errand if you don't have it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would there was... never try to not get it. But I'm just wondering if somebody no, was sure. super good if they could. I thought there was one jump that you just can't make without freezing an alien to jump to platform on it. Is that is that not the case? No, no. Oh, okay, my bad. Uh, yeah. So the distinction there being, uh, it doesn't sound like a remarkable thing, of course, to uh, to us. But uh, items are permanent fixtures. So again. While we know that perhaps Metroid didn't invent any of these wheels, it was more common for NES gamers to be used to the kind of power-ups you'd get in, say, Super Mario Brothers, where you'd collect a star and you would be invincible for a period of time and then that star would wear off or you'd collect a power-up and then it would go away. But here it was about, yeah, almost RPG or, or roguelike, building up your, your character's gear set, armour, abilities and weapons to be able to power through the end of the game and as we said almost contributing to us in some ways a slightly inverse difficulty curve one of the things that i think's fascinating about um the gameplay is the the morph ball and just the story mm. behind the morph ball which is that they couldn't be bothered or they didn't have the means to animate samus crawling yep. and so they just turned into a, a ball that they, they called uh Maru Mari, which is round right. ball as a, as a right. technique, but it's something that's persisted throughout the series. Is just this like iconic um, Metroid kind of yeah. ism, if you like. So it's the first thing you get, and and the being uh, although we we often talk about uh, kind of the the curtain's been lifted on the way Nintendo teaches you how to play things, and our understanding as as gamers of game design has has sort of started to learn this, but. This game teaches you straight away that you don't just run right like you did in all the games that you had before this. The first power-up that you need is to the left. Very deliberate move, and that is the Morph Ball, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the Morph Ball is absurd, especially when you think that uh, Samus is meant to be six foot three and whatever kilos we said. Um, we had some fun on the Slack channel trying to think about how <laughs> how it would work. Um I found some images of uh, noted contortionists, um, some of whom can almost get themselves into a ball, but still, ultimately, you've got limbs. Um, obviously, there are those uh, contortionists uh, who would, uh, you know, perform as magicians' assistants and curl themselves up in small spaces to uh, present the image that they've been sawn in half and all this kind of thing. But really, you're going to struggle to fit a, a six foot three human into a small 
sphere that's a, well, I, guess I mean I, I also can't high. jump into lava and survive um yeah. <laughs> so i i'm willing to accept that as a uh, mm-hmm. as a power up that you have to get um yeah. it does something it's magic armor, i don't know in some yeah. way it's your dna Space your, magic. your molecules uh it's been a long time says dusk versus tweak from the forum since i played the first metroid but the one thing i've always taken away from the nes game was loneliness it's the atmosphere created by the lack of backgrounds that constant black behind Samus adding no life to the world, just a vast emptiness. I think like the fog in Silent Hill, the technical limitation that prevents those backgrounds from being filled in actually gives this first game its own identity apart from the gorgeous Super Metroid. The NES game is more like the smaller, creepier alien compared to the SNES's aliens. As I became more and more lost in those 8-bit caves, it really did feel like Samus was all alone and only getting further away from the surface another shout out to those black backdrops although i do uh, recall a lot of people talking about the, the atmosphere in super metroid being lonely and deep and desolate and and all that as well so i i mean maybe yeah maybe maybe less so i don't know that's going to come down to your your interpretation so yeah we've already touched upon samus's jumping which yeah i found mostly fine but Occasionally, the arc of the jump was a little bit tricky compared again. Two different types of jumps, isn't there? There's that very mm. vertical jump that has a lot of like flexibility and you can land it with a lot of predictability. But the moment you start like spinning in midair, it's a real crapshoot as to whether or not you're going to land where you ought to do. So, trying to work out which jump to do in the right situation is really critical, especially as you get towards the end of the game and you're fighting Mother Brain. What about uh, the rest of locomotion? I'd say there's um, uh, apparently they were they went through uh, a design process where originally uh, she was faster to uh, to run, but um, but it made the game feel too small. Uh, so the the fact that she's actually relatively slow on her feet is in part to make the game feel big and imposing. And I, mm. I think that works, but she's not, it's not frustratingly slow. I wouldn't yeah, have said. Yeah, they made the, the screen wider and taller as a result of that design decision to, yeah. to change from like relatively slow to relatively fast. I'm not quite sure what that means because Samus is still quite plodding in, in uh, yeah. animation, but um, mm. there you have it. You would be too if you were carrying all that armor around <laughs> with you. Yeah. I guess the one... Uh, area that I think the game shows its age in terms of design, uh, particularly showed its head in uh, the very. It, it happened a few times along the way, but particularly the final approach to the mother brain. There's a section of a sequence of rooms where you have to uh, smash the middle of these pillars or these columns out. Zebatites. Okay. Uh, all right, Mister Law. <laughs> <laughs> Um, i am i am the law (laughs) he's the law um (laughs) they uh with missiles whatever uh and you're constantly bombarded by there's all these turret emplacements and uh little red circles which you can mercifully after a while i realized that the way to deal with these rooms is to freeze the little circles so that they don't just keep respawning but even so even with that knowledge you get knocked back a lot. This was a very, a very eight-bit era NES thing. We'll we'll talk about it as we're covering the eight-bit Castlevanias as well. Some of the modern versions of these games give you the option to switch this kind of thing off, where you 
you get knocked back as you take a hit. You have a very small window of invulnerability, but being repeatedly knocked by endlessly respawning bullets become can become incredibly aggravating. And to top it off on this game, there is the possibility that when you fall into the lava, which is sort of, or, or whatever it's meant to be, goop, bio, waste, in various rooms, you can, it sort of comes up to about just over halfway on you, something like that. Maybe it is exactly halfway, I don't know. Um, it's probably one sprite rather than two, isn't it? And you can actually get caught under the ledges of platforms that are in or just above the the rotten stuff and it's very hard to extricate yourself and you're you're watching your your countdown your energy timer kind of drip away and you know that even once you extricate yourself you're going to try to jump back up to the security of the platforms and you're going to get knocked back by another couple of bullets or floating whatever those are the bits where this game felt like a, a 35 year old game with with all the infuriation that comes with that for me what i will say though is i and and this this is not a a really fair comparison to make because these two games are not the same game at all but it is another highly popular nintendo game that came just before this unlike in super mario brothers you don't automatically die when you hit lava, and that I think yeah. blew my mind a little right. bit yeah. when when I when I first played this game. It's like, because I mean, I was I think by that point I was so conditioned to think, well, God, if I fall off these platforms, I die. I have to do this yeah. again. So yeah, that uh, makes sense. It is kind of nice in that respect uh, yeah. that you don't just die. God, it would be I I think it would be unplayable at that point. Nobody would ever finish this this game. <laughs> I just want to come in on the 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 knockback because yeah. um in my opinion the for the vast majority of the game the knockback is is fairly generous and actually mm-hmm. will boost you in the direction that you're already going so there's quite a few examples when I actually right. take the damage boost just to get me through a particularly difficult area mm-hmm. um as you know aside from the mother brain fight which feels almost engineered to exploit some pretty egregious examples of of knockback into some of the worst scenarios there's yeah. areas including like climbing areas in Cradzler where you need to climb up literally a vertical wall by knocking yeah. some of them down and the the damage boosts there are just infuriating so it's a real mixed yeah. bag of um positives and negatives and I don't know if there's any real consistency throughout but um it's I will not... say this go on um when we spoke about action Axiom Verge, I kind of lamented that in a game, and that game is not alone in this, but a lot of uh, quote-unquote Metroidvania games share this, is that you're just traveling through a lot of rooms filled with enemies, uh, and that's about all that that entails. And as annoying as those disappearing platforms, disappoint, uh, disappearing platform columns are, it is interesting in the fact that it's an actual sort of puzzle platform challenge to overcome. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do like that about the original Metroid, that it has these real navigation challenges other than it just, you know, traveling through rooms and fighting enemies, and that's about it. I use save states all the way up that that effing thing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I that that was, ex- that was I, I know exactly the room you're talking about, and it was incredibly frustrating because yeah, I just uh, could it, not it get not- them down. It might not be the uh, greatest example of, uh, of of terrain navigation or like puzzle platforming, but <laughs> you know, you, and it, you could do do a lot better there. But uh, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that it's there. 
in any from case. a narrative perspective as well it kind of lends some credence that this is like a living environment that will grow underneath you and all of that yeah, sort of good like stuff. So it's cellular gl- cellular cellular growth threat like yeah, things absolutely. growing back yeah yeah and another thing which again once you've been playing for a while you kind of maybe stop noticing as much but uh the nes was severely restricted when it comes to how much uh, moving stuff it could have on the screen i know a lot of cartridges that came later in the nes's life would come with their own kind of chipsets basically um their own uh circuit boards loads of boost boost power effectively to to get the most out of um the console by actually including bits that weren't in the console but i i guess that metroid one just uses the hardware uh that means that you have a, yeah a, a, a severely restricted number of sprites on screen if you go into that number um to the to the higher ends of that number you get an enormous amount of splicker splicker sprite <laughs> flicker and, and slow down slow that's down. right splicker yes. yeah splicker but why not <laughs> slow down flow down yeah. let's call it slow down yeah <laughs> um and i it, guess it's especially bad in in some instances like the mother brain fight is so busy that um it's very difficult. You know, like, it's probably helpful because you get more time to react to what's going on, but it would be certainly more helpful if it was more consistent. So there's amount of, the amount of times when it will go from, like, what, uh, 20% of what the actual game ought to be going at, and I, I didn't play a PAL version of, of this, so I'm not sure how that would feel on a, a 50 hertz machine. I think you probably did, actually, if you played it on Wii Virtual Console. Okay, I, I don't want to play the the North American version. That's uh, that extra fifteen percent faster. Yeah, I think but, the, um, the 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 Switch version is based on the American ROM, but I, right. I suspect that the the version on the EU Wii VC <laughs> would have been the PAL version. Oh, yeah, that shame. was. They were pretty much uh, except for a few Apart from the import ones, uh, the Hanabi import, ones, yeah. import ones. Yeah. yeah. The, they would have yeah. the 50 hertz versions on there. Yeah. So you but can it, actually, uh, you can probably increase your time, Rich, by simply playing this uh, on the Switch. I'll, um, by I'll have a think about it. 15% or thereabouts. Yeah. It, it, it You've been working get the... out with, uh, with weights on your, on your leg. <laughs> yeah. Blindfolded. Yeah. It did get to the point where it would, you know, I would do things like, I just don't pick up the long beam anymore because I don't need those whiffed shots on the screen slowing the game down. I, I just stick with the, the regular beam. And I don't um, put bombs down unnecessarily because I don't need those animations. But playing the game in the way that I did it, I did start to kind of start to think a little bit more about how to sort of get enemy to move in a certain way so that I can just weave in between them rather than have oncoming yeah. enemies throughout. And it's quite an interesting way of going about the game in that that way. Nice relevant, and as well. Relevant to that, uh, this from Wikidroid. Another notable difference between the Famicom disk system original and nes versions is that certain enemies behavior is much more predictable in the nes version because the nes lacks the extra memory provided by the famicom disk system the behavior of certain enemies in the nes version was simplified for example squeeps in norfair jump out of the lava at one of three heights in the fds version they can change their height each time they jump low one jump then high the next in the nes version once the enemy appeared, its jump height would be set to one particular value and recalculated only when the enemy data leaves memory. This predictability removes a certain level of difficulty from the game. Interesting. Yeah. So, key to 
success for most normal human players in Metroid is getting your energy tanks, right? Uh, missiles are important as well, adding to your to your missile library. But now, Rich, you're the one who's uh, who's got good, properly good at this game. Mm-hmm. So what's the actual... Uh, are you now at the point where you could actually like talk us through the sequence of items and, and that kind of thing? So the sequence of items that you need is significantly less than the sequence of items that I have rooted into the game. Yeah. So, for example, you can forego the various suit, which halves the damage that you want to take. It's purely a, a kind of ease of uh, of like a quality of life thing for me. And, and and likewise, you can get rid of a couple of energy tanks if you have the confidence and the competence to do that. But yeah. in order to defeat the game, you, you must have the bomb. You must have... Yes. Well, we argued about whether the ice beam was necessary, but I think it's a false economy not getting the ice beam. And um, I guess that's it, just between those. And yeah, you need missiles, obviously, to defeat Mother Brain. I think it's 32 missiles that you require to kill Mother Brain, and then something like eight, a minimum of eight missiles per Zebatite, and there's five of them, I believe. So it's the bombs, missiles, um, and uh, yeah, the, the bosses. I wonder if you need really more than the first missile pickup, because as I learned from watching one of Rich's speedruns yesterday, oh. um, you the the bosses uh, Ridley and Craig actually give you a substantial increase each. So I wonder if those two increases. I mean, you you would have to get the first one so that you can open the red doors, but. I, I wonder if you actually need to pick up any other um, missile increases other yep. than those two boss Mathematically, you, you don't. So you get 125 right. missiles uh, for both Kraid and Ridley, and then obviously mm. the additional five that's required to open up the, the bomb door to get that. So mm. um, you don't need it. Um, but as you also learned, like it, it, it's very difficult to defeat yeah. uh, Mother Brain confidently and, and successfully if you have few missiles like that i think i went in on my run with like i don't know it was like 180 plus full e-tanks um which that's another thing there are um and this this part i learned just from one of the walkthroughs i was looking at um there are i believe it's eight uh energy tanks in the game but you can only hold six so there are oh, two that, that like it doesn't right. actually it will still refill your health if you get one. So depending on where you find yourself, it might be worth it. Yeah, that's but, right. There's a max. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but there is a max. Uh, but okay. yeah, I think that's where I think that's where I went in, and I I wasn't really in danger of running out of missiles. But uh, as I say, I I did use the rewind function on Mother Brain because I kept getting knocked into the lava oh. in front of her, mm. which is very yeah. difficult to get out of. Uh, because if you touch the glass surrounding her, it will knock you back in the other direction and yep. cause a significant amount of damage. So you yeah. got to be really careful. It's very cruel, I think. Yeah. I'm also now curious as to how Rich was streaming from Wii Virtual Console. So I brought a copy. So Leah was playing it yesterday. I was like, do you want to come watch it? I brought it from, uh, I just downloaded a ROM of it and put it onto Mason and then we oh. screen shared through Skype just to get that one done. All oh, right. Gotcha. But um, you have my word that I didn't use save states. No, no. Well, no. I mean, it's firstly, it's fine. And secondly, <laughs> it was just a genuine curiosity. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah. And speaking of which, I used, as I say, I used uh, guides to help me locate things because one of the other things, and this is actually one of my complaints about the sort of off, 
oft-hailed masterpiece of, of Super Metroid is that some of the stuff that you have to find you just would never find without shooting and bombing every square of every room. Yeah. There's no clues, no signposts for some of this stuff, right? Maybe there's some very oblique clues in the nature of the environment in certain places. And I did find a few little passages and stuff by myself, just by organically testing things. But a few of the, the energy and missile pods are just squirreled away in a square of a room. And unless you shoot it at the right time, then you're just never going to see these things. Uh, and uh, for me, in like in the modern world, again, I you know, I grew up in the in the 80s playing these kinds of games and that was normal. But while I don't want the golden arrow that we talked about many times for everything in these games, some kind of indicator, a little bit of signposting goes a long way to making a game just that little bit more approachable. There's some really r rough examples of, of this. There's one very necessary part, and that is in Norfair. To get down to Ridley's Lair, you've got to bomb a floor, and there is yeah. absolutely no indication that that floor mm. has anything no. below it. And there's a level of inconsistency about some of these things as well. So there's places in Craig's Lair where you have to bomb jump, and the bomb jump is really, really inconsistent in, yeah. in Metroid, whereas it yeah. has like a bit of predictability in some of the, the, the older games. So mm. trying to... You've really got to give everything a few attempts. And and then lastly, there's a couple of examples of just invisible walls, which is uh, like an old staple of kind of 80s platforming and such. Yeah. So just yeah. the level of inconsistency is what makes it infuriating for me. But there's not even like, a, and again, I'm sure there were limitations with the amount because just the, the, the tile palettes they had and stuff, but there's not even like a Zelda style cracked wall or thinking back to another 1985 game, Gauntlet, there were there was poison food, but there was just a pixel difference so that you could, you know, just have some kind of clue. So even a tile that was like just different by one pixel or flipped or rotated or something just to give you anything like that would have been something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's no uh, Castlevania 2 um, <laughs> coming later this year, but um, <laughs> I'm on that show, too. Um, but uh, there were things. Yeah, there are things like. Um, like uh, bombing through floors and not only bombing through floors but bombing through a floor that looks like it has nothing but lava underneath it but right. you have to fall through the lava yeah. but I'm yeah. not sure yeah. how you're supposed to know that um, yeah that is crazy but things like bombable walls yeah I mean playing back in the days I'd learned at just one point whenever I would reach a dead end or some end of an area I would just start bombing everything like crazy yeah um and and there's a counterpoint to that. Like, you could argue that something like The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, compared to the original Le Legend of Zelda, where you obviously see, oh, okay, here's a cracked wall, so I can place a bomb here, and there you go in into the secret, quote-unquote, cave. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as opposed to something not being signposted at all and feeling like a genuine discovery when you do... Mm -hmm find it you know it feel, sure. feels more like a discovery you made on yeah. your, you made by uh, by yourself and i'm not saying that that is the absolute way but there's probably more yeah. room in between the two extremes that can be explored by developers yeah. it's uh, just such a yeah. mixed bag in in, in metroid yeah. so you've got some like that one instance in in norfair where you've got to bomb the floor and it is a necessary and it's the most egregious example of not being able to know what to do but then there's also some some like classical metroid stuff which has persisted throughout the series like there's a part in order to get the ice bomb 
sorry, the the ice beam, um, there's a river underneath you, and you're like, okay, how did that get there? Maybe mm-hmm. I need to kind of find a way yeah. in order to get to that area. So there's like a yeah. gentle indication that you've got to be there, and that's, that's like it, it. It's that kind of inconsistency that makes it really challenging. And, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly the kind of thing. Um, and and I totally take your point, Mikhail. And I'm also somebody who. I don't know if we've ever sort of really gone into this on on the Kane and Rince podcast, but like I fundamentally don't agree in the concept of good games design and bad games design for that mm. reason. Like I, in the same way as I think there's that that scene in um, Dead Poets Society where you know Robin Williams, the maverick teacher, gets them to start reading the theory of how to write a good poem book, and then he tells them to tear it all up because it's all nonsense because there's no you can't you know you can't write a guide to good writing and i agree with that but i also do think for my personal tastes that i like the idea of genuine organic discoveries that weren't hinted at in games but i think maybe for my taste those should be reserved to non-essential non-essential things and there could be a little bit more subtle nudging and everything yeah there's a there there's a large area between spelling things out and showing right you know, giving clear markers and yeah. not showing anything at all of course yeah and i think uh, yeah games designers have learned a lot about this in the next 35 years or whatever the many 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 metroidvanias are around now i think a lot of them probably axiom verge as one example uh you know does for the most part manage to kind of take all those learnings of decades of games design and uh and employ them but obviously yeah we had to we had to start somewhere and i I don't mean to be down on metroid for for having that but equally we i think we have to recognize that it's a it's a barrier for many oh speaking of which nugget of trivia the varrier suit is actually meant to be the barrier suit but it Mm. it's sort of a mistranslation there's a v vb transposal uh as with the lr transposal with uh with japanese and english so yeah, barrier becomes varrier, which I is quite cool. I that they haven't c- corrected it either. Yeah, it's it like, just yeah, sounds kind of numb. And it, it sounds like it could be var- <laughs> vary- varying, varying environments or something like that. So yeah. I, think, I think it works. Yeah, exactly. And then bar- barrier would probably indicate shield or something, indicating yeah, exactly. that you, you take less damage. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the mapping thing. So, uh, well, Rich did it, so we didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> Mikhail, what what did you say? You so you used to complete the game. You use uh, an exi- a pre existing pre drawn map, like from online um, or from a not magazine. Not to complete, not to complete the game, but to get get anywhere <laughs> in the beginning. Right. Okay. Then yeah. at one point, I just enjoyed the exploration process too much. That I didn't want to look up the maps anymore. Yeah. And yeah. Then I didn't do as Rich did, like create my own maps, but I've sort of, yeah, I kept tried to kept keep it all inside my head. <laughs> yeah. I started yeah. like um, I started drawing. I'd already seen Rich's map before he coloured it in. Before he was bullied <laughs> by Leah, into, made to colour it in. You mean? Into, I that's I, that's true. Slighted, <laughs> completely true. Uh, so I just started drawing a few lines on a piece, not a, not a graph paper, just some normal line paper that I was making notes on. And very quickly, I got frustrated with it. Uh, I've never been much of a map maker. I used to enjoy drawing like fantasy maps of totally made up islands when I was a kid, like you do with different locations on and stuff like that. But mapping out a game I've always found takes me out of the experience more than putting me in, although it can be a satisfying experience. 
Rich's map, right? Um, obviously, you're, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but uh, but it looks very much like one of the ones that you might have seen in a, mag- a games magazine back in those times in the 8-bit days in that uh, it looks somewhat accurate, but you also need to know <laughs> something yeah. about the game to actually use it. So I did try to use it a bit and uh, it did help with certain areas. Leah, you had a similar experience? Yeah, I, I, I did use it to kind of navigate my way around i i used it in conjunction with a walkthrough yeah. that did not have a map no so it was kind of a um they complemented each other <laughs> yeah so it's not like um the the map you made rich it's not like a graph paper pixel by pixel uh room by room it's more of a it's a it's it's not completely um abstract <laughs> either yeah. it's yeah. like tell us your process your map so, so here's process. the thing right like you know i talked at the beginning like i i have osmosed a lot of like metroid know-how and knowledge so i was like okay i'll I'll try and replicate that because um and it looks just like a, a metroid map or a castlevania map or a metroidvania map for that matter yes um, indeed. and in in that way now the other thing is um i am both flattered and aghast at the idea of anybody using this map because what i know now having completed the game is that it isn't accurate <laughs> and doesn't necessarily depict actually how things are but it's a close representation um I would, in terms of how I put it together, um, I'd I'd play like twenty minutes and then take a break to check on the kids or something like that, and we we draw a map. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm putting my six years of university degrees in geography to good use, drawing these ah. uh, maps of um, Brinstar. I guess there you go. I didn't know you were a geographer. You seem so hyper knowledgeable about all kinds of things that, uh, uh, hum- I... human geography leon that that's my forte so demographics human and, geography and politics right. and such. look it up yeah okay that's a different kind of geography uh so your map exists it's finished and uh it, it yeah it's got colored colored pencils on it um yeah i just think it's a very nice thing um yeah i enjoyed it good yeah, but now you now it's all in your head, right? It's all transposed. Yep. Yeah, indeed. Like I could just pick up the game and play now. It's um, but the act of it, making it probably put it there. It quite. That's it. Yeah. It's a sort yeah. of like a learning tool and a, a kind of means to try and understand where things are. And I knew that that was necessary going in because, um, as I mentioned previously, in two thousand and eight, I try to explore, and it's very easy to get lost in in Metroid. Blue Weasel Breath from the forum says, I have great memories of renting Metroid as a kid and enjoying the first several screens before not being able to find the bombs and getting stuck. On my second rental, I finally made it deep into the game, only to get stuck further in, unsure of where to go. I think it was only after beating Super Metroid as a teen that I decided to go back and complete Metroid. I still felt the game's ambience and gameplay held up pretty well, although I needed to map everything out, which was part of the experience back then. I probably used the Game Genie with the unlimited damage code to win, but I can't swear to it. Mother Brain is a bizarre but awesome concept for a villain, a space pirate leader that is a completely stationary grotesque organ in a giant jar. As an American child of the late 80s and early 90s, it's worth noting that my first experience with Mother Brain was not from the game itself, because few of us were skilled enough to reach the end of the game, but from the cartoon Captain N, the Game Master. Mother Brain in this cartoon was female-coded but voiced by one of my favourite soul singers, Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops. The same voice as Audrey too in the Little Shop of Horrors movie. That is so cool. Do you remember that cartoon, Leah? 
Yeah, sort of. I I didn't. I don't think I watched it as much as some other people. Um, mm. but uh, but yes, I definitely remember it being a thing. <laughs> I, I watched it literally thing. before this recording oh, because actually it's my first um first instance of, of Metroid. Law. Like, what is fascinating is them. In, in the same way as the Bob Hoskins Super Mario movie, it has mm. absolutely nothing to do no. with, uh, like, the, the Nintendo, like, licenses oh, no, that they're driven from. Like, uh, Mother Brain lives on planet Metroid. <laughs> there you go. So okay. let that speak to the uh, efficacy and the accuracy of its uh, yeah. representation. Of course, you'd never get anything like that now, say, the Monster Hunter movie or... <laughs> nothing yeah. of the sort. Uh, I've put puzzles as a heading, but I don't know if puzzles is really the right word. The only puzzle that I suppose, it's not really a puzzle, but there's the room that you come across before you fought Craden Ridley that has little statues of them in it. And you think, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Uh, and then you come back later and you have to interact with them to, uh, to, to once you've beaten the bosses, to carry on through. Are there, are there any other elements to this other than exploration and wall bombing and shooting that we could actually call puzzling maybe some platforming puzzles like there uh-huh. are a couple of places where you can where you can kind of lure enemies into um into locations where freezing them will be beneficial to get you into other spots sure i don't as 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 we were saying before um i don't think that's actually required in, in any spot but mm. it can make it easier or it can get you to power-ups that um you wouldn't otherwise be able to reach yeah and, and beyond that the the very kind of like ambient puzzles of that mickey mentioned it earlier to do with like how to climb a sheer surface and how to mm-hmm. use yeah. the yeah the tech that you've got at hand environmental so. puzzling rather than find a key and put it in a door there's nothing really like that as such quite yeah yeah it's basically out well, of wilds you... is is what i'm saying uh-huh <laughs> Well, if if you ca- if you're looking for those kinds of puzzles, of course, when you don't have any missiles coming across the red doors, is uh, is that right? So yeah. the missile also become a key yeah. item in that sense. And well, yeah. Mikhail, let me yeah, tell you, are... when you don't have any missiles and you come across a red door, that's when you press reset and start your speed run <laughs> once more because you've already <laughs> lost the time. Yeah, only once you've gone down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there are three bosses in the game. They're little dinky bosses, like two sprites high. Um, and uh, they don't really quite conform to modern, well, I say modern, but really subsequent boss design in that they're not, uh, although they, they are, you can avoid most damage. They're not, they're, they're not kind of sequence and pattern based nah. in the way that contemporary bosses would be. They're little damage sponges that sit in a room and throw a lot of crap at you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> none of them are actually that I, I wouldn't say like compared to a lot of games of the time and compared to the overall difficulty of metroid i wouldn't say once you get to a boss as long as you've collected it's, it's all about how many energy canisters and missiles you've collected up to that point really isn't it um, yeah and i remember meeting crate for the first time back in the days and getting uh absolutely slaughtered right probably because i hadn't grabbed enough power-ups yet and uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I kept getting hit by those uh, belly missiles and, and and knocked down in the in the lava or acid platform below him, and then having to climb out. And of course, you you know that saps enormous amounts of energy from you. So the the way that I do it at this point is you exploit the limited sprite capacity of the game and you yes. freeze whatever it is that the 
putting out there and they're just in like mm. completely um yeah. impotent like completely unable to do Legitimate anything and you just sit there and spam them absolutely but i have seen a, a number of different techniques to go about um defeating some of the boss um Leo and I were having a conversation yesterday where I was trying to explain to her like the the corridor before Ridley where you you're just wandering through and there's about thirty of these orbs that uh, bounce off the walls and just to just try and explain how deadly yeah. it was and the the video that I linked to her showed a, a gentleman who used the wave beam something that I don't necessarily collect and he just willingly went in the lava below and just hopped above the lava and shot Ridley from below and because of that mm. only sustained damage less from damage the lava right. which is yeah like, significantly less dangerous than yeah. Fireballs. The thing that I found out though is the wave beam. If you have the wave beam, you sacrifice the ice beam. You oh, cannot yeah. get to. I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, you can get the ice beam again because you know it it repopulates uh, yeah. after you collect it. That that little orb thingy that the uh, that the statues hold comes back. Um, but if you wanted to use the wave beam, you would have to then go back and re up the ice beam to get back down mm. to uh, yep. to Mother Brain afterwards. And if you have the ice beam and you want to go back to using the wave beam, you have to go back to the wave beam spot yep. again. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a, I was gonna say that as well. It's really interesting that uh, mm. these kinds of uh, limitations they uh, got rid of in the sequels, like you could actually stack weapons instead of having to collect them. Separately. The fact that they thought about that as well is kind of cool. Like yeah. so many games that would have just put that fail state in there. And went, yeah. Okay. That's a lot. Um, yep. Yeah. And same with the crouching state in the Morph Ball, mm. by the way. In Super Metroid, you could actually crouch and then yeah. crouch and then press down again yes. and go into yeah. Morph Ball. Uh, so it's it's funny to see that uh, they actually addressed those limitations in the sequels. Yeah. Just um, on alternative boss strategies, um, with Kraid, it is also poss- not just possible, but very effective to defeat him by bombs. So I found that this out today mm. when I froze his um, like spike. He's got three spikes, one at head height, one at feet height, and one at belly height. And um, the belly height one corresponds with Samus's height. So if you freeze that and it's in the way, like tough, you just got to wait until it unfreezes and then get going. But um, if you crouch down and, and bomb Kraid, it's actually a really easy fight. You just spam bombs next oh, to it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, on. yeah. I think, I, think I, I got him with a lot of bombs, actually, yeah. The uh, nice. screw attack also works on Kraid and Ridley. Um, yeah. Mm. Oh, the screw, I screw found... tag is, it breaks the game like it, it just yeah. trivializes the game <laughs> it really in does. the best possible way but i i found um if we're talking about bosses ridley to be much easier than Craid, um just because there's a spot that you can stand that i found by accident where ridley can't hit you so but you can still hit ridley so i just stood there and nice. pumped him full of missiles so one of my questions then is uh, you you were uh, looking up times for as your completions got faster you inevitably got interested in what kind of speed run times are rich and i'm wondering because of the 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 sort of the lack of um I, like i i dare say it wouldn't be possible for like to complete this game with zero damage for example because of the nature of it's designed and the, yeah. the way it's designed to yeah, yeah patterns aren't uh, yeah. always designed with gaps between them yeah uh, you know, where you avoid damage you know sometimes you just have to soak up a lot of BS. so I, that's it so i wonder it uh, how much uh scope there is for like yeah completing this game with no no damage less run I, I think it is there's so much rng and so much kind yeah, of yeah exactly um, yeah 
you know luck that would be involved there but i think i i i can see a way that it would be possible but it hasn't been done yet i was watching the world record run today and it's like 25 minutes yeah and this is a person that takes a lot more risks than what i would in my 50 minute playthrough yeah um and the the skill that they have is is just beyond what i've got and the skill doesn't necessarily come from their ability to platform it comes from their kind of like deep-seated knowledge of how to manipulate the enemies yeah it's always the uh, way with these speedrunners well that's always the i'd say yeah i mean this is what ben our friend ben cartledge always says about his extraordinary ghouls and ghosts and ghosts and goblins performances is that he he swears it's it's way more about knowledge than it is about uh you know twitch skills or or i mean execution is clearly vital yeah but, but there comes a point where you know like yeah you see the matrix kind of thing and you're so hyper tuned into everything that's going on every mechanic every, the feel of every jump and and shot that it it's actually it is more about the that side of things than the the ability to be good at video games but i think yeah maybe maybe people who have got to that point with those games kind of uh, don't realize just how much it <laughs> how much of that side there is yeah, there, to it. knowledge is one thing but there's always you know the brain farts the the concentration lapses yeah. the uh yeah and that that sort of thing where you just you you fumble so you need to keep it together for <laughs> a very long time ice cool veins i wonder if uh, maybe rich is uh, maybe maybe you've got that same mentality that ben has that so so of- like yeah, like I, I admire Ben and and um the the work that he does on some of the things that he has, and I have like a a moderate a, a modicum of patience, let's say. But um, yeah. it it just comes from paranoia and a fear that I don't know enough about the game that we're going to cover, <laughs> rather than the love <laughs> <laughs> and the thrill and and chasing the the. Well, I'm glad we're clear. putting you through it all. Uh, as long as you're getting something out of it in return, <laughs> um, but I, that's good to know. It's like, yeah, I mean, you uh, and and John as well, who who's who's been on some of these uh, shows for the for the older and more demanding games. He's uh, he's absolutely thrown himself into them in in that way, and uh, yeah, it's much appreciated. Pecan Pie from the forum says more so than any other long running series, I find looking at the original Metroid objectively difficult, as the later two D games and the genre it created loom so large. The features it is missing that later games instituted make it more difficult to enjoy the game today, namely a map and an easy to use save system. Luckily, both can be utilized today through an online map and save states, which is how I played through it recently. Doing so, I could enjoy the brilliant seeds of gameplay that were sown in 1986. I remember trying Metroid a few times in the early 90s at friends' houses and being turned off by the lack of immediate gameplay satisfaction that Mario and Sonic provided. It was harder, I was lost, and the lonely tone was wasted on a seven-year-old looking for a quick arcade experience. It actually put me off trying Metroid 2 and Super Metroid, as I thought the games just weren't my cup of tea, even though they were lauded and loved. Now, having experienced all of the 2D offerings, I can appreciate the vision and template the original laid out with its permanent upgrades, space exploration and hidden secrets. Some of my detractions from the game include the boss fights, which lacked engaging mechanics and boiled down to how can I unload all my missiles into this alien before it kills me? The mother brain level layout is memorable, albeit frustrating, and still is about pumping it full of missiles before the constant damage Samus is incurring kills us. I'm also not drawn to the look and animation of Samus. The truncated high-stepping run and the big helmet looks especially awkward when compared to how the redesign in Metroid 2 on the Game Boy turned out. 
The Metroids, on the other hand, are perfection. They nailed an iconic alien design. I, I mean, personally, I like the look of uh, Me uh, Metroid. I've done it again. <laughs> Samus. Samus. Aaron, the bounty hunter from space in this game. The fact that she does look a bit like the, uh, the Xenomorph in profile. The Metroids, however, I always thought they were a bit goofy, to be honest. Uh, yeah, but they, they do... Cute. Again, but... <laughs> harking back to this um, sort of this level of int intimidation that uh, the game instilled uh, in me. Um, I remember getting into the met what the the final area of yeah. the game, the Mother Brain's lair, mm. and there the place is crawling with Metroids, right? Yes. So and you know you the that that's what the game builds towards, and the first Metroid is sort of floats uh, below <laughs> a plat below a platform and will stay there unless you move to the left or the right. Yeah. So what we what we kind of joked about back in the days was studying the Metroids in their natural habitat. So we uh, <laughs> sort of, we rolled up into a ball on that platform and then started dropping bombs. And then the explosion actually made it like fly away and come back to the same spot again. It's, it's uh, elicited a reaction. So there was this sort of, mm. before we even dared to push on, we we're just studying what it would do and, and that sort of thing. So they had a weird, the simple 8-bit sprites had a weird, almost, yeah. almost alive kind of... Uh, Gave us an alive kind of impression. They they are they are bigger than most of the other enemies you see in the game. They're they're kind of near boss size, aren't they? If you think yeah. of the dinky bosses, yeah. uh, and they are a real pain. If you do get yeah. latched onto it, it seems again quite with the bombing. It seems quite inconsistent as to how quickly you can shake them off, which yeah. makes it yeah. tense. It's a bit almost Resident Evil uh, like at that point. It, yeah. If you get more yeah. than one on you, that's that's a really difficult and dangerous situation to get away from right. in particular especially because you've got yeah. to juggle between missiles and ice beam for the first time in yeah. your playthrough and and that is not easy yeah exactly and it's their primary attack method of their or their only attack method of uh latching onto you and sucking you dry and then coupled with the fact that they're impervious to your weapons except for that specific combination of the uh freeze beam and the missiles that uh, also makes you believe that, yeah, these are highly dangerous creatures that should not be set loose in the universe. Freeze them and then missile them. Yeah. That's, that's something interesting, too, and, and kind of leans into the maybe they don't quite give you enough information. Because mm. I, I, I mean, obviously, if you get into that situation, you're probably going to spend some time trying different combinations of things and eventually you're going to find out that you can freeze them but it's not just freeze them and shoot them once you have to put no. five missiles into yeah, one of these things exactly. before you kill it and like that just seems I, I don't know missiles are kind of a precious resource so I'd, i question whether you would mm. think to do that and actually, i mean i obviously people yeah. did but mm. um i, I wonder because i can't think of any place in the game where it gives you that hint no. really the only thing is that you have to open red doors with five missiles as well. Oh, yeah. I so, didn't think so, that. That's that. That's a good point. But even just so, do that in the yeah. in the manual, there's a, a specific instruction here. It says it can't be destroyed directly with a normal beam. Freeze it with the ice beam, then fire five oh, missile okay. blasts at you. Yeah. But oh, here's the okay. thing: well, like, how many children <laughs> had a, a manual and a box for Metroid in the eighties? Like, I, I never owned an NES box, uh, in spite of the many NES carts that I've had in my life. Yeah, uh, the uh, other. Uh, another quality of life element that I 
didn't really realize until I've been playing the game for some time. So I played this, as I say, on the Switch. Uh, you can get NES-style controllers for the Switch, but you can also get S Super Nintendo-style controllers for the Switch. I bought one of those a while ago, and so that's what I played it with. Uh, but that means that rather than, I think on the original, you have to press select to go yep. between missiles and shot. The playing with the SNES controller gives you uh, a missile shoot button so that you can. Wow. Yeah. So you that's, can that's just. game changing. Like, yeah. I, I am yeah. so careful in the Metroid area, like, yeah. purposefully moving between missiles. It's not a natural thing. And the Wii gamepad, obviously, minus is the. Uh, yeah, is the equivalent of um, select, and it's not in a natural position for no. your hands. Yeah, the same for I used the um, I, I played the Switch version as well, but I used the uh, Pro controller, yeah. and same yeah, thing. same thing. The mm. uh, getting to that that minus button is just not really a thing mm. that uh, that feels good. <laughs> not at pace. The Penske file from the forum says Metroid is a series that I endlessly try to convince myself that I enjoy, but every game from the original onwards leads me to. That uh, leads me quickly becoming frustratingly lost and then giving up. I've never completed any of them or even made it very far. What I remember most about the original, the haunting music and the creepy solitude of the alien planet. It's surely one of the most memorable environments from the NES era. And Alex79UK says, I thought I'd try to give this a fair crack for the podcast, but after an hour or so of frustration, I gave up. I just can't really see any reason to go back this far in the series now the SNES and GBA games exist. I can imagine playing it back in the day and being amazed by the openness of the levels, the atmosphere and the music, but not even being able to crouch and shoot was enough for me to throw in the towel. In summary, I think it's a good prototype, but has been improved upon in every conceivable way in later games. Why can't Metroid crouch? <laughs> Why can't Metroid crawl? I don't, I, you know. Who is Metroid? <laughs> so yeah uh multiple endings probably uh again i i haven't actually looked up what the first ever video game with multiple endings was i don't know if anyone's got any thoughts off the top of their head but i don't i doubt this was the first but it wasn't usual it wasn't common um the idea that completing a beating a game in a quicker time would get you a quote better ending was uh it's kind of a, a genius little touch and yeah. sort of promoted speedrunning uh, without that term having even been coined at that point as far as i know yeah may have been this and super metroid uh, were very much uh, sparks for the speedrun community right yeah so yeah five endings uh, after the standard congratulations screen uh, you'd get depending on your final time if you played if you completed it in over five hours you just get a raised hand three to five hours the helmet comes off and you see that uh, well, I mean, based on the pixels, it, it, it it's not definitely a woman, right? You'd, I mean, you'd, it's not enough just to see that pixelated face and go, "Well, that's definitely a woman." I, I mean, don't know. She has some fabulous eighties hair. Like, uh, yeah, uh, could be a guy. A single could be like, dot. Could be like a hair metal guy. <laughs> uh, no, there's something cute and babyish about the face. Yeah, could still yeah. be a guy uh and then the real giveaway though is uh is ending three less than three hours she removes her armor completely and remains in a sort of leotard uh that could still be a guy could still be a guy no you're right but uh, well, yeah accurate accurate yeah. could be yeah uh under three hours allows you to restart the game as armorless or as we know it now zero suit samus just press start after the credits roll uh 
The fifth and final ending that Rich has managed to get shows Samus without the armor and dressed in nothing but a skimpy bikini. Could still be a guy. And to yeah. unlock it, all you have to do is finish the whole game in under an hour, thanks to Moby Games. The original Japanese version's text was delightfully slightly mistranslated. Great, you fulfilled your mission. It will revive peace in the space, but it may be invaded by the other Metroid. Pray for a true peace in the space. And so say all of us. Nice. Passcodes are the way to get back to your game if you don't have a Wii Virtual Console or whatever. PC save state. Um, the passcodes were quite long and fiddly <laughs> by the looks of it. I didn't use them. Uh, not, again, something that you obviously would have just persevered with on an NES back in the 1980s, but uh, you probably wouldn't be tremendously happy about having to use now. But it did open up the possibility of cheat passwords, including the aforementioned Justin Bailey and one called Narpus Sword. Uh, which yeah, give you various um, quirks and perks and power-ups. Um, oh, Narpa Sword is the Zero Suit one, right? Um, now, Justin Bailey is the uh, Leotard uh, right. suit. Oh, okay. yeah. Narpa Sword is uh, pretty much a cheat code. Uh, oh, okay. You have in infinite uh, energy with right. that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it gives you like a, a, a beam that looks different. That's a blend of... Uh, um, yeah. It like, in the terms of animation, sword. it's no different to the ice beam. It's just a different color, but it blends wave beam and ice beam, and you never go below thirty health. So uh, the only mode, way basically. to die while in Napa Sword mode is by letting the countdown run out. There you go. Uh, it is currently impossible to begin Napa Sword mode in Justin Bailey mode. Uh, we mentioned save states and rewind, which, uh, yes, you may have available to you, depending on how you're playing. And it may even, yeah, for, for obviously, for Leah and I to get the game completed for the show, it's incredibly handy. And if you just want to say you have beaten Metroid in your life, then that's some nice crutches to have. But you might want to, you might want to go down the McKeel and Rich route and actually, you know, kind of do it as as was intended, you might get more out of it that way. You may not. As we said, the NES online Switch client has a couple of special versions, one of which allows you to effectively start with everything already, making the game a bit of a different experience. KJ, another new contributor from the forum, says, I hadn't ever played more than a handful of games before having a few goes with Metroid at a friend's house as a kid. The dense atmosphere, stark graphics and excellent soundtrack certainly make an impression on me. In a way, by showing that games could be something different than the playful and light-hearted experiences I'd encountered up until then. It was one of the earliest experiences that sparked my fascination for games. I didn't make meaningful progress in the game until years later, however. After playing and later replaying Super Metroid, I got curious to take another stab at the original. With the help of emulator save states and a guide at hand, I made it through. It was fascinating to see how much of the now well-recognised formula was already in place here. It does suffer from some of the common issues of a game of its vintage, though. The non-existent signposting, high level of difficulty and lack of an in-game map makes it a less than palatable experience these days. Overall, I'd frankly rather just play Super Metroid again, or one of the many fantastic games that was inspired by the series, rather than to return to the original. Still, I'm happy to have experienced this groundbreaking game particularly at such a formative time, even if I can't really recommend spending much time with it today. 
similar feelings to uh, to Alex there. Often seems to be the case that people get inspired to go back after Super Metroid, but um, and then find things are a little even harsher still. We also have some rather good three-word reviews from Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince on our social media. Thomas the Tank M1 says, long, unreadable passwords. Will Cross says, Justin Bailey Shibboleth. Alex79UK says, what, no map? Uh, apologies for the pronunciation. Uh, Vito says, inventive but unpolished. R66Y Prometheus says, it feels lonely. Razmound says, haunting and daunting. The King Rocker says, isolation, desolation, exploration. Blue Weasel Breath says, still impressively atmospheric. No More Spiro says, cute little bosses. Raw Accord, I think, says, groundbreaking groundbreaker. Bensky File says, speedrun striptease. And lastly, Bearfish Pie says, seminal space spelunking. Thank you very much, one and all. It just remains for us to conclude our own thoughts on the original Metroid. It's a series that obviously we've been thinking about covering since we started doing Kane and Rinse. It's been on the big list forever. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into some of the games of the series that I've never finished before. I've got to admit, I was a bit daunted and haunted by the thought of playing Metroid. I'm quite glad that ways of playing it exist that don't involve doing it the, the true purist way uh, in terms of time and mental health. However, I'm also very aware that sometimes those experiences of throwing oneself back into a game with sort of uh, antiquated design sensibilities and, and whatever else can sometimes be extremely rewarding, as I think we'll find out that certainly uh, Mikhail and Rich have found. But yes, I am of the, given that this game has effectively been remade twice in Super Metroid and Zero Mission, Playing the original is a bit of a tough ask for all the reasons that we've mentioned in the show. The lack of signposting, uh, obviously the the NES online version, other emulation options add certain uh, crutches, as we say, or quality of life improvements, however you want to look at it. But yeah, the game can be extremely brutal and frustrating. That said, the more I played it, uh, the easier it got. It does have something of an inverse difficulty curve. So even if as uh, as with our regular correspondent, Alex, you kind of play the first half hour or hour and go, blimey, this is a bit much. It, I'd say it is worth sticking with it um, for a little bit longer because you start to get into the game's groove and rhythm. But overall, yeah, uh, standing there for hours, farming little enemies for five dots of health each time to get back to, to your original uh, health limit wasn't massively exciting for me i ended up with uh with a bit of thumb rsi which is now being exacerbated by by xenoblade chronicles but um uh, and those moments of being knocked into lava type substances and trapped under the edge of platforms unable to extricate myself feel very very much something that would be tolerated and even you know, embraced in a game from the era that is just a little bit maddening in 2021 so yeah I, i'd probably say play around with it maybe play around if you've got a switch if you've got a switch online account have a look at that version with the full power up set just to have a jump around and explore get the feel get the vibe um it is different if you do that because obviously you're fully powered up and the whole point is that 
it's scary and you're not but um maybe play super metroid when we cover that next year leah i kind of hesitate to recommend the original metroid if you haven't played it already i wouldn't say don't play it <laughs> I, I i wouldn't like say this is a terrible idea what i would say is unless you are of a very specific mindset and you people know who you are but unless <laughs> you are of a very specific mindset um don't be afraid to use assists if you are interested in experiencing kind of an early example of this genre um if if you're not especially interested then as as leon said and as we've mentioned a couple of times during the podcast there are other versions of this there are other um not even metroid versions of this there are yeah. just other thing other games that do this thing um and i won't say that they necessarily do it better some of them do some of them don't but it, I, I mean if 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 what you want is to get into this type of game it doesn't have to be this one uh but there are a lot of ways to kind of make it more accessible for yourself if you want to take them and i think that it's a good idea if uh if if that's if that's something that's holding you back um and even if you even if what you have is just an original nes cart you know you don't have to do the switch version or anything uh although i i had a pretty good time with that um you know you can you can still use one of the codes that we talked about and and have that boost even in just the bare bones original version mm. if that's what you want to do so yeah, I mean, I would say if you haven't played this game and this this has kind of intrigued you, then that might be a good place to start. You might find that you uh, get into trying to get a more efficient run done. You might find that one time through is enough for you and, you know, you just wanted to kind of experience where a lot of this uh, this genre came from and where a lot of the, the um, kind of traditions and, uh, and tropes even got started. So that's, that's something you can do. And I, I think that I, I mean, really, you, you kind of probably already know if you're going to like this game or not, um, and in what capacity you are going to like this game, and it lends itself to that. So, yeah, I had a pretty good time with Metroid, but I am looking forward more to some of the uh, other games in the series, mm. I will I will admit. 40 boss fights in the second one, kind of. <laughs> 40 little Metroids. <laughs> little babies. Mikhail, how about you? Yeah, um, I think that's a fantastic take of uh, Leah. Um, and yeah, you know, just uh, meandering off a little bit there. Um, if you listen to what, uh, if, if you pay attention to Alex 79 UK stake, for example, like no reason to, to go back to it. You know, I mean, um, this is a, a kind of a thing that I've heard more people be very dismissive of the original Metroid and, uh, you know, not getting along with it, etc. And I think that's very fair. I think there it is a big ask to to play it for most people and, and play it all the way through at that in this uh, day and time. But I just want to kind of emphasize how big of a deal this game was um, two years after its uh, EU release to me. Uh, yeah, just incredibly engrossing with its with its weird alien planet cavern hunting, um, yeah, odd sci-fi setting, and uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a game that didn't let me go until we finish it all the way 
through it and that was with a lot of other nes games like about 39 other games that we had uh, vying for its attention for our attention at the same time um yeah just that 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 exploration in the game and just finding your way and and picking at stuff peeling away at layers um and just the overall atmosphere i think was an unforgettable experience for me and maybe i myself would hesitate to want to play it all the way through again in this day and time but uh yeah i just want to instill um despite the remakes instill what uh what a significant game Mm. The original metroid was hmm. well said excellent let's conclude with speedrunner rich <laughs> there's a uh, an introduction i never thought i'd get um look i i was <laughs> genuinely dreading this podcast because um 2008 when i originally went to play metroid and i felt compelled to play it i just found it to be uh, such a challenging experience and you know you do the bosses in isolation you go in with cheats you think you've experienced everything that the the game has to offer but doing it in such a compartmentalized and fragmented way leaves you with a, a really sort of strange feeling that you're not quite sure that you've in, had the intended experience that the developers want and and the game stuck with me for for that length of time you know the music is wonderful and the actual artwork on screen is just really compelling um in 2021 I, I can kind of confidently say that i've loved playing it like all 40 or 50 times i've loved repeating it i've loved taking out of my um we and bringing it onto the emulator to workshop the bosses and to try and sort of like get the um muscle memory in effect um and it's just been a, a great experience including doing the map I, I found it to be like really compelling and and fun and gratifying um I want to shout out the manual. Um, reading through the manual was was such a kind of joy and it's such a kind of interesting sort of um, time capsule and it made me kind of covet the halcyon days when I would go out and get a game and, and perhaps read the manual on the way home and ingest a lot of mm. information that just isn't presented to you in the game itself because the, the game can't because of the limitations of what it is there. Um, I think what I've learned is um, something that I picked up on last year when I did uh, the NES playthrough of A Boy and His Blob um, is that I find it really enriching to go back and, and right some of those wrongs and, and kind of overwrite the bad experiences with new positive memories. But here's the honest truth. I, I don't really recommend you go and play Metroid because it's it's not very forgiving and it's not particularly very friendly. But what I definitely do recommend is that you go through and try the experience that I had and just try and do it honestly and earnestly and separate the time. And, and I'm sure you'll come away from it feeling like a, like a really much better person and a stronger gamer. <laughs> wow, that really did sound yes. like a Ben Cartledge uh, kind of... Yeah, uh, I think Rich is getting there. Yeah, definitely. What are you trying to say, man? <laughs> i think he's slagging us off leah um no i completely understand and uh yeah exactly uh that's why we went in the order we went metroid then off we go on another series of games we will be covering metroid 2 return of samus later this year we're not even doing the remakes for that one either that's just going to be the the one game at a time because i think that allows us to get in deep and dirty uh, in a way that uh, that we want to with those individual titles. We may even do the two remakes of Metroid 2 later in time, yeah, assuming we and the world are all still trucking along. If the Metroids haven't 
Gone to Edis. I'm not taking anything for granted at this point. <laughs> Until that, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Leah, Mikhail, Rich and Editor Jay, as well as our correspondents. Plus, of course, you for listening. Next time, in issue 481, a truly epic JRPG odyssey in our Xenoblade Chronicles podcast.